Hey everybody, welcome back to the distillery. This is Tom and this is not Tom. And Tom and not Tom are going to do an episode for you that I feel like we're excited slash nervous to do. Only nervous because it's relatively new as far as the topic not goes. Not even nervous. I don't think nervous is the correct word. What's the correct word? Um, not, I don't know. I feel like not even apprehensive. Um, Ill, I feel somewhat ill-prepared, mm. but maybe not. How about that? All right, fair enough. But I don't want to give the wrong impression. Ill-prepared sounds like you don't have anything to say. No, 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 no. I just feel like I have a lot to say, and I really need to narrow that down, or I don't want – I guess nervous would be not because I don't have anything to say, but because I have so many emotions around okay. this that I want to be able to rein it in. All right, well, good. Well, let's get into that, but first, yes, let's talk about – what we drank past tense tonight in preparation for this podcast. Yeah, man. That was a very cool experience, wasn't it? It sure was. We got to do two things. We got to have some delicious distilled beverages. Yes. And we got to do something I think is a very important civil duty at this point in supporting a small local business. Absolutely. Absolutely. So a shout out to my sweet wife who found this incredible business called Newport Distillery on Instagram. Yeah, dude. And she shared it with uh, Brian and I and said, you guys got to go there. And so we gathered each other up and we were down there in a hurry and they did a, a tasting for us. They have a flight. Like you go somewhere and get a flight of beers or a flight of uh, wines yeah, wines or whatever. Yeah. And they so, had uh, two types of distilled beverages that, that they, they make themselves on here locally, which is fantastically cool. Here in Medford, Oregon. Right. One is a gin and one was a vodka. So they have two gins, one vodka. Uh, correct. Yeah. And so you get to pick five things from their menu and they build a flight out of that. And, um, some were just the straight liquors and some were mixed drinks. Right. So you could have just the gin, just the vodka or a cocktail. They, they, they are kind of like their specialty drinks. Yeah. So shout out to Newport distillery here in Medford. Uh, all of their drinks were delicious. Some of them were even amazing. Oh my gosh. Yes. And the people there are incredible. So nice. Super real. Awesome service. Accommodating. Mm -hmm. Kind and just really good. Really good. And we're looking forward to going back there and recording an episode hopefully from there because they were super down with that. Right. And it's dope because they have a giant sign that says distillery. Yep. Yeah. It's like we were made so. for each other. So that's what we had in preparation for the podcast on the drinking side. Did you have a favorite from, from our, our little, sam the little samples that we tried? My favorite of the little samples was their gimlet. Did you like the gimlet the best? It was so good. They have their, their um, simple syrup they actually infuse with Douglas fir. That's as Oregon as That's it as gets. as Oregon as it gets, but it doesn't taste like a pine tree. It has just an incredible aromatic to it, and it, it really was so good. Which is funny, because before we even knew what that was, Tom said, that tastes like Oregon, which I thought was hilarious. Yes. Because it literally tastes like our state tree. It did. It was so good. What about you? What was your favorite? Man, uh, I their gin's just phenomenal. Um but I think my favorite was their version of the mule. I don't know. Oh, oh yes. man. That was like, it was had delicious. like a. Is it called a Northwest mule? Yeah, man. It had, is that what it was? I'll look it up. Later. It had, and, and it just had so much flavor, like so much flavor um, that it wasn't too. Holiday mule. Holiday. The holiday. It wasn't too. I don't like sweet drinks, mm. but the, 
so flavor sometimes gets like works its way into that. It was it was like the perfect blend. It was really really good. Like, yeah, it really was. I had one of those too. I loved it. So, uh, folks, if you're in the area, you've got to go check them out. They were fantastic. And, by the way, they sell their own distilled beverages by the bottle. Unbelievably affordable. Yeah. We bought a bottle of their uh, beard and flannel gin, right? Yeah. And it was t- 25 bucks. Yeah, man. And it's good. It is amazing. So, yeah, please go check it out. They're incredible. Awesome people. We're excited to have met them. And it led into a great conversation that Brian and I had tonight. Just off Table Rock Road. Yeah. So, yeah. Tom, we're sitting there. And uh, we're really just catching up, mm-hmm. you know, and having a having a little drink, and uh, we're talking about we're somehow kind of reflecting on the year that has been 2020, yeah. And we're talking about some some heavy things that we've experienced. Um, actually, this time that we've experienced vicariously. There you go. Through others, mm-hmm. some people that we know, some close, some not, that have just really been through some situations that were difficult. Yeah. Um, and then the word that, that I think Tom came up with or that really described all of it was, was there was, there was just this um, level of brokenness that kind of tied all these conversations together. And uh, so that kind of led to Tom having an idea of a discussion for us to have. Yeah. So I won't take credit for the word. That was definitely you. But the idea of the discussion was this because brokenness is such a broad topic obviously and we as we were discussing it we realized that we've experienced brokenness in so many different ways personally in our jobs in in ministries around us in friendships blah 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 so it seemed too broad but the effects of that brokenness seem to be um not universal but very common there are some very common effects a lot of the brokenness that we've experienced and then we wanted to... And there were some common denominators Some common well. denominators, right? So one big thing that we pulled out of it is the title for the podcast, which we want to call The Sins of the Father. Reason being, um, it, the short version is that it does seem like a lot of the brokenness that we experience at the expense of our, our, our fathers or of our family members has the greatest impact on us as we go forward. Sure. It shapes us. It shapes us positive or it colors our, ex- our life experience really. Yeah. So the sins of the father is something that we all have to deal with. Um, some folks have to deal with it more than others. But what the other thing that came out of it was that we realized we have to narrow the focus even more if we're going to have a, a constructive conversation. About yeah, Cause it. that's so big, like yeah. brokenness amongst humanity is, is, massive you can come at it from a religious standpoint you can come at it from a completely non-religious you can come at it from a socioeconomic standpoint i mean so yeah like so i that's what i said to you like yeah that would be a good conversation but like without some parameters and borders this is going to be a rambling mess correct and that kind of leads us down the road that we're at now which brings us into the what brian's calling nervousness i feel it too um maybe for unpreparedness or maybe because I think some of the things that we need to say might ruffle feathers, might be challenging or, or maybe we're not well equipped. Who knows? <laughs> There's some unknown in this conversation about where it's going to end is up. Fine. That's not the first time. It's not the first time, but here's what we want to do folks. We want to accomplish with you addressing this big thing in relationship to brokenness. And that is the church's response to the brokenness experienced in its own families. Yes. And the good, the bad, and the ugly 
in relationship to that response. Yeah. So, Which is still a large topic in and of itself. It's still a large topic. I think we should share some anecdotal, without um, giving names away, anecdotal stories that really make this relative so that we're not just talking out our butts, but these are real things that we've experienced. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The church is their response to brokenness. And I think we should get to a point toward the end where we actually discuss where we hope the church can go. Maybe, Ver- and maybe call out where the church has messed up. Yes. And before we start, folks, just so you know, I am an avid church goer. I consider myself a member of the church. I'm not talking about the church on the outside of it. I'm one who's talking about it from the inside. And I also think it's important for those of you who are listening, um, you know where Tom and I stand. Um, and if you have been listening, you know that we both are practicing uh, the Christian faith. Mm-hmm. Um, we are definitely not... Typical? Typical is the word I'm looking for. We're not, maybe not necessarily your your dad's, mm. your father's version of, of what that looks like. Because Tom and I, basically what I'm trying to say is... Um, we, we have our own faith. We believe what we believe, but it's not, that doesn't limit who we care for. It doesn't limit how we see the, uh, how we see others, who we accept, who we are friends with. We, I, I'd like to think that we're pretty open-minded mm-hmm. individuals. And, and so maybe part of this conversation will be having to say, you know what, here's some situations that I did not agree with or yeah. some mistakes that have been made by an organization that I claim to be a part of. Okay. So, great. Well, without further ado, I think we should get into it, folks. So, here we go with the Sins of the Father conversation. Cool. Um, This came about because throughout the course of this year, I would say the last two years probably, we've seen a lot of stepping away or running away from the faith, uh, people responding to the faith in a a way that is either, either in direct rebellion to what they were raised believing or a rejection of those beliefs. Because of some inciting incidences. Right. Some that were years and years ago. Correct. Right. Some that were recent. Correct. So what are, like some of the abuses, obviously, that we have experienced are emotional. Like that's the easy one to say right out the gate. There's a lot of emotional abuse that takes place within the confines of the church. Right. People bastardize the mission of the church, bastardize the, um, the calling of the church, um, in a way to manipulate somebody emotionally with things like shame mm. and guilt um, to the point that um, maybe when it's happening, you don't really know how to reckon with that. But at some point in the future, when you are now struggling with who knows what derivatives of shame and guilt are now trickling into your married life or your professional life or your mental health um, The only way that you can tie that back to is a negative experience you had Mm -hmm. through someone in the name of the church. Correct. Which would push some people away and, and rightfully so. Yeah. That's a biggie. So emotional, emotional abuses in the name of the church. We've seen a lot of that, a lot of it on big things. Well, I think they're all big things, so I, I don't want to classify them that way. Uh, um, some, some obvious things, like you just mentioned, right. I think those are obvious when folks reach out for counsel on a, a struggle that they're having, and they get uh, sort of a, a list of do's and then shame if they don't, right. that they can come back to later and, and feel guilty for uh, not living up to the list. Right. So that's an emotional rebu- abuse that takes place in the church, but also things like 
um, gender bias. I mean, mm. absolutely not contextual, not textual interpretation of scripture, but rather just legalistic uh, um, a rule setting on what gender gets to do what within the confines right. of the church. Which often blur the lines between um, genuine wrestling with uh, with roles and misogyny, if we're being honest. Correct, yeah. You know, and so which can leave some pretty big bruises. Yeah, uh, you know? we've seen it, experienced yeah, we, it. I'm, we we've experienced it. Our children yeah. and our wives have experienced it. Correct. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I, I do feel like another area is sort of the achievement what's the word almost like in video games where you are motivated by the achievements that you can accomplish okay so i don't know the word but absolutely it, like, like this dangling a carrot dangling a carrot so the gold whole star reward program or yeah. something yeah like in education we call it gamifying education where you turn this mm. into a game so that but by making it achievement based the kids are going to want to play harder to score better like that whole idea okay that actually, I think, lives within the confines of the church and is detrimental to it. Speak more into that because that's I hadn't thought of that, and now my brain's kind of rolling through a bunch of things. Sure. Here, so so in, in, when I think of like situations where people can be motivated and pushed into a position of leadership in the church, okay, okay. there are a lot of qualifiers, and they 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 often stem from scripture, but they be, quickly become arbitrary. Mm. Somebody is interpreting those scriptures in a certain way that says. You, Brian, would qualify to become an elder because we think so. But you, Tom, would not because of this thing you did in the past. Okay. Or um, let's say, let's say Tom, uh, Brian, you're really a poor businessman. This is not true, by the way, but let's just say you're really bad at handling money. And that particular issue means that you wouldn't be qualified to, to really be a leader of the church. A spiritual leader, mind you. Right, because a business is simple, is similar rather to um, a church organization. We want it to be growth mindset. You obviously aren't good with growth, so you wouldn't be a good candidate. For Interesting, it. okay. And there's a lot of that achievement level huh. where the current governing body sets a standard for what it would take to become like them. Wow, I hadn't thought of that. I mean... In this context, I've obviously thought about it, experienced it, been parts of those conversations, but wow. Yeah. I've just, I've observed it a lot. Um, thankfully, it's not been something that's dinged me personally yet, but I've observed it a, a lot over my life with people who I've, I always assumed that so-and-so is going to be the next elder or leader in the church and, and it didn't work out. And right. come to find out it was because whatever standard was set, they didn't meet it. Mm. And that has a damaging effect, a long lasting yeah. damaging effect. Emotional effect. Emotional effect, correct. Right. It, which manifests itself in ways that may not be emotional as well. So. Yeah. Huh. So there's that. <laughs> that, there's that small thing there. Right. Um, and then add to it, we've seen and experienced, not just this year, but it seems like, at least for me, I'm, as I've been counseling people close to me, um, people I care about this year, we've seen um, what I would say mental health abuse. Yeah. Uh, um, like somehow demonizing emotions. Oh yes. Uh, does that make sense? Oh, but your yes. response, like, um, to the point where if someone had emotions, struggled with emotions, um, instead of that being a normal human response that it is, um, it was often, um, oh no, 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 you can't have an emotional response to that. You just need to, to follow this list and check these boxes. And if you don't, well, you're either weak faith or 
you're you're doing something wrong. And the effects that we're now seeing of that happening, um, I I'm speaking broadly, obviously, but does that make sense? Oh, it it really does. I I feel like the demonizing of emotion is something that actually I grew up with. Thankfully, not by my parents. I, I honest to God, don't remember my parents ever doing that. Um, my, my mom and dad, as they are now. But the churches that we went to, there was a lot of fear when when emotion was brought up. As a matter of fact, it was always taught to us that you should never let your emotions dictate, guide, or even um, motivate you to do anything because your emotions always lie to you. Mm, okay. Right? And so whenever you're feeling depressed, as an example, the response should be that you should simply just let go of your depression and have faith that God will take that away from you. Which is just absolutely horrific. I mean, it, it's... Theology r- and idea. Well, it's it's not counseling per se. It's it's another situation where if you can't actually negotiate that in your life, mm-hmm. you're immediately set up to be a failure. Right. In it. You're, 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 you're put outside the city gates, right. if you will. And then you... Yeah, and on top of that, you know, I'm, I'm raised in, in a church culture that... Um, values according to the way it's taught um knowledge mm-hmm. memorization book chapter verse book chapter verse um being able to quote a verse um and because of that that is where righteousness comes from emotions is not intellectual it's heart mm. it's not it's a head versus the heart thing so if righteousness comes from knowing the right answer knowing the right response then emotions obviously have no place on the scale of righteousness. Well, wow. you can see the potential for intentional and unintentional abuse of that. For sure. We both have people, young people and adults, and even older people in our lives, friends and family, who were so are currently so damaged by the relationship between their own emotions and what the church tells them should be their relationship with their emotions that they're simply lost. Yeah. They are just, sure. they simply feel like they have nowhere to go in a sea of what we entitled brokenness, brokenness. Absolutely. Right. So you have, you have that. And then you have, like you said, I don't want to say the big ones cause I don't want to minimize those, mm-hmm. but then we have experienced people that we love that we've now discovered, um, physical, sexual abuses absolutely um either not i can't think of a specific that's not true either done by in the church or people who went to church or trusted family or friends that portrayed themselves as church leaders um and we're seeing the obvious damage that 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 causes i mean that's that's a whole discussion in and of itself but we know the damage that that carries on Correct. Correct. And, but specifically the church's response to it. Well, that's where I, uh, yeah, exactly. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we both agree that, um, any kind of sexual or physical abuse that happens to anybody under the umbrella of the church is going to have damage. It's going to have lasting effect. We can agree on that. Right. That seems like a no brainer. Well, yeah, it is a no brainer. Right. Right. But I think where you and I both are frustrated is that the response of the church. That's exactly what we need to talk about toward those things. I'll dial it back a little bit. So um, I grew up Catholic, and I think it's a lot easier for us, American society, to look at how Catholicism has had to come to grips with 
years of uh, sexual abuse in some of their congregations by the priests to their children or from uh, the highest levels from the highest levels yeah. Yeah. and it's a horrible thing and it's it's created wounds and scars that are going to last forever with the Catholic Church but I also know I was never abused in the Catholic Church and I know some very incredibly sincere godly people in the Catholic Church so it doesn't mean then that to recognize the sin is to uh, demonize the entire faith. Right. But I now do that's believe that's opening a whole conversation right, right there. But I do believe that the sort of non-denominational or evangelical churches that we have are way less likely to address the sins. Exactly. For fear of demonizing the faith. And that is the problem. And, and where we're trying to get, and maybe not eloquently, is. Where has the church been in properly responding to this? This is not a church bashing podcast. No, I want to fix it at from all. The you know, but it, but it's like it's having the courage to stand up and say we haven't always done this right in the past. As a matter of fact, we've done it so wrong that we actually um, exacerbated the damage done by this. Um, and, or, and the question that I guess maybe we started is, is why, why hasn't the church responded in positive and healthy ways? And I think you opened the door to one of the biggest ones is fear of painting the entire thing. Well, if, if we admit this happened, then we we have to throw out everything. Correct. You know? And so where does that come from? Like, Oof. like what, what do we apply that logic to other areas? And I don't know that we do. Well, I would argue that it sounds very familiar to the way people handle uh, the response to wanting to change anything with the U.S. government. Okay. If they're, however, is that because the U.S. government and the church have become so intertwined? Well, that they could be the same problem. Is my point. Gotcha. Right? Well, expand on that. So, obviously, right now there are a lot of people who don't want to criticize anything that's going on with the United States government. If I say one bad thing, I don't like America. Right. Uh, America's the greatest country on earth, et cetera, et cetera. So if you say one bad, bad thing, then you're saying the entirety of America is uh, garbage. Not true, but there's that fear. Yeah. That same fear is what drives, I believe, the white evangelical churches in their response to uh, the brokenness that exists due to physical and sexual abuse inside the churches. Okay. All right. Because they're afraid that if they criticize the one thing, the entire thing will be demonized. Just like they're afraid of their nation crumbling to the ground if somebody says, oh, we need to lead differently. Okay. Okay. So if that's the reason that I, I don't agree with it, but I can see how someone's mind got to that. Okay. Where's the danger in that? The danger is in then, okay, I can't respond publicly or on a mass scale to say this happened. We're going to put it out there. Let's deal with it. So now I've got to find a way to deal with this, but still somehow kind of keep it on the down low. And, and yeah. well, there there's a lot of damage done in that kind of response. Instead of just calling, hey, this is wrong what happened. We want everyone to know what happened um, and we're fixing it. There's a lot of like, let's try to do it in the shadows. Let's mm -hmm. kind of hide. And what the message that sends to the victims is unbelievably damaging. Correct. Because it, it says what they've experienced isn't valid or at least not important enough to be addressed out loud. Right. 
and it show it, it's 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 a spineless approach if you ask me i'm so afraid of everything that we've ever done being now colored by this that i'm not going to validate the immense harm that's been done to you even though that's not what they're thinking they're saying you're doing that's what's happening correct you know and and so it's not a surprise why years later when someone is doing the hard work of healing that trauma you know, of healing that lasting effect that that trauma has shaped everything in their life. And they're just now uncovering why they're feeling what they're feeling and what has happened. Um, they then in turn respond in the same way. I'm going to throw everything out because that, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. You know? And so this is how you, you responded to me. And my response to you is all the, uh, the good that still may have been, it's being thrown out too. It's not why why would that shock us when that's someone's response? I don't well, I'm not sure that it shocks us. It doesn't well, shock me. Not us. Okay. I mean church American evangelical culture. Yeah. Um I, well I don't know. It's hard for me to answer a lot of questions on behalf of I'm not asking you to. Yeah. That's rhetorical and Yeah. Yeah. It's difficult. I I I see this kind of problem permeating even on a micro level not just the macro one that we're talking about i mean it happens in arguments where like you can with your with a spouse or a best friend where you can have a disagreement and instead of hearing whatever it is they're trying to say you or i will, will come back with a whole like defending our entirety i'm a good person because i do all this stuff for you why are you upset with me but by, by this one you're thing? Right. right i i do that i'm guilty of that like yeah but we're doing so good in this yeah. Instead of just saying, you're right, I messed up in this one thing, clearly you're not saying I'm a bad person, we're talking about this one thing, we freak out and go, oh, I'm a good person, look at me, why are we even talking about that? I think we, we approach the problems huh. in the church the same way. Yeah. And I think, it's, I think it's gone on long enough that the result, okay, this is why we were talking about this, the results that we're seeing from this brokenness that has been maybe even generational is that more and more people people are running away from the church, more and more people are pursuing lifestyles that are contrary to what they believe their whole life. Um, even, uh, like, massively so. Yeah, like, not not little small things. We're talking massive. Right. Massively. Like a sea change a of sea philosophy. Change. Total paradigm right. shift yeah. in what they view as a, a morality is, is just completely different. Yeah, not even religion, just like a morality. A morality, yeah. right. This stuff is happening, I believe, and experientially, uh, observationally, because the, the brokenness and the trauma has not been admitted to, uh, repented of. Yeah, that's, that's huge. And then brought healing into. Right. So you, you can't bring healing to something if you haven't apologized, repented, and admitted to it. Correct. There is no healing. I, I don't think so. But the approach has often been, well, let's put a Band-Aid on it, say we're sorry to you. Throw some stuff towards it, and then we're good. That's not healing. No, it's that's not. not healing. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> so this is a small thing to talk about. Yeah, no big deal. So we've got emotional abuse. We've got physical sexual abuse. Um, I, I think there are other types of abuse that create brokenness under the umbrella of the church. Yeah. I think um, legalistic religious abuse mm. or the application, which is kind of emotional <laughs> abuse. Uh, yeah, it it also I think what we try and do is we try to program our our congregations, mm -hmm. right? So we uh, we'll apply that traditional 
um, methodology for how things are done and saying this is right. Oh, absolutely. To the point where it's gospel. To the point where it replaces the gospel. Right, exactly. So the legalism that we apply in our congregation is more important than what the actual Bible says oh, that we're reading. Or it's more important than, than yeah, godly living. Right. Really. And so as we get older, maybe in the teens or adults years, and we start to question the legalism versus what the Bible says, hey, why did we do it this way when the Bible says this? Our only... Um, Option is either to drop that question for fear of getting kicked out of the congregation or leave the congregation because we can't have the question. Sure. Yeah. And it, that's a logical choice that people are making. I understand it. It's very but damaging. It's though. unbelievably damaging, and it didn't have to be. Right? right? If, like we're hoping to get to, how could this have been handled better? Mm -hmm. You know, and I think it's even bigger, Tom, than just abuses. I mean, it's. This lack of accountability that we're talking about, this lack of um, humility, this lack of, you know, repentance spirit, um, and just uh, bad teaching, yeah. <laughs> bad theology, legalism, like you said, um, replacing, um, you know, godly choices with morality. Mm -hmm. uh, all, all of these things, it, it's a perfect storm for some serious damage to be done sometimes when it wasn't even intended. Yeah. And I think the reason that we were talking about this was because both of us want for that to be different. Now it feels oh, like I, I, it has to be different, right? It feels like one thing 2020 has done for me personally is that it's put me at a place where I am no longer willing to wait for any changes that I can make. Right. And when I see some of these changes in, in organizations that I'm involved in, it's no longer time for me to wait to make them. And the church being an organization we've been involved in our whole lives, I think this is just sort of a call out, hey, how can we make some changes? And it, and it really is. I can think of a couple of examples of people that are really, really dear to me. Um, and I'm, don't, I'm not excluding myself here. I'm just not trying. Uh, this year alone who have dealt and are dealing with some really, really life-shaking, devastating effects of what we're talking about. Correct. At this point in their life. And, 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 and walking with them through that and experiencing that with them and validating their pain and their anger and, and their resentment, um, has really opened up something in me to, to like really make this a passion of mine as someone who is still involved in the church, still involved in church leadership mm -hmm. to make sure that we do better because um, I actually believe the exact opposite could happen. It could be handled in such a beautiful, gracious, loving response that, that healing happens before trauma colors someone's entire existence mm. yeah at least on nice. some level yeah you know and so yeah that is what we desire and want because um we've said before in some of our shows where we've talked about politics and, and especially me like contrary to popular belief i'm not unpatriotic i'm not I, I believe in the idea of what we're supposed to be as a country mm -hmm. and i just want us to get there and that's kind of where i'm coming at this from like i'm not anti-church because i believe the idea of what the church is actually called to be is 
world changing and right. beautiful. I just think we have work to do to get there. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I, that's, that's what this is really. I agree. And it's time to stop worrying about whether or not it's going to be hard to do. I think we, it we, is going to be hard. It is. Let's just answer that question. It's going to be hard. Yes. To do. It's yeah. But is it, is it more important that we do something hard or that we rather avoid something hard? Or is it more important that we start helping people? Thank you. Heal. Yeah. Is it? I mean, that's who, that's who we're supposed to be. Yeah. Right. A respite, a hospital, a, a place. Asylum. Of, uh, How many times <laughs> do we see that in movies where somebody in a bad place runs into a church saying, I, asylum, yes. asylum, I'm seeking asylum. That is a literal place the church is supposed to be. But it's been the opposite yeah, because of been. all these things that we're saying. Right. They run the other direction. We want it to be what it's supposed to be. Yeah. So let's start talking about the kind of the three areas of uh, abuse or neglect or trauma that we've experienced and see what can the church do differently from our own opinions, our own semi-professional but not official opinions. Yeah. Is that fair? Uh, that's great. Okay. So we'll start with emotional abuse. There's been plenty of emotional abuse that's taken place that we've already addressed. Clearly, the dumb answer is say, well, we should just stop emotionally <laughs> abusing people. Oh, okay. Right. Cool. We fixed that problem. We fixed that problem. Let's that's clearly not the right fix for the problem. Um, it's time to start actually admitting it from the yes. top down. So what we need, you mentioned this before, is... Uh, there's a lack of accountability. I think that's going to be a problem yes. that needs to be addressed in all the areas of abuse and neglect is that the, the accountability needs to take place. Yes. Yes. But I think we had to go back from there even back up. Even I think it's, I think we, we need a better understanding of the biblical narrative. Can you explain? I think a lot of this emotional abuse comes from a not really understanding the full picture of the scriptural narrative of redemption and, and being um, we like to pick three or four sound bites. You know, God loves you. Uh, Jesus died for your sins. It doesn't give you more than you can handle. God doesn't give you more than you can handle block. Yeah. These kind, right. And we use those sound bites to then um, throw trite, um, medicine at people hurting and abuse and like say these sort of things when we're not really understanding the true biblical narrative that um, suffering is part of the Christian experience. Mm. Um, something that we're called to do something we're called to do with others, not to like say, Oh, you know, all things happen. All things are good. You know, you know, we, we throw these stupid things around without really understanding. And we have, we use so much out of context. Mm. You know, we proof text and we pick a verse without looking at the, the, the contextual um, narrative of what's being said to say, you know, well, you know, the Lord helps those who helps himself. Not even scriptural. Right. right? Like, and, and, but we, does that make sense? Am I like, yes, it's a huge I, answer. What yes. I'm trying to say here. I'm getting I, I hear you. flustered because I get excited about it because that's not, that's not the story of, yeah. of, of God's story. I see what you're it's saying. It's not completely. squeaking clean. It's not perfect. It's not, um, but we, we want it to be so perfect that we do damage because we don't have a, a good grasp of the entire, what I believe to be scriptural, biblical narrative. I think that's powerful because as you're talking, I'm thinking about how I may have heard this sermonized 
I've definitely heard sermons talking about um, Jesus being the answer for all of your problems, which include your emotional problems. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. But what you don't often hear is that when Jesus died, he died for the entire person, which absolutely includes their emotions, their feelings, their weakness, their inability, their shortcoming. So instead of just trying to pretend like that doesn't exist and that you have a real relationship with Jesus when you can shed those trappings, mm. understand the biblical narrative says that Jesus actually died for the entire self. And he wants to redeem the entire self because he's interested in the entire self. It's all valid. Well, it even goes, it really goes even deep. You're 100% correct. Even deeper than that. It's not the, it's the entire creation. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, know? absolutely. So, which I mean is, it's, it's just proving your point even more. You're right. right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that you're right. That's a really good one. Understanding the true biblical narrative might actually make a difference in how we handle emotions yes. and how we deal with them. It, coupled with an accountability for our shortcomings in lack of understanding over the years, we have to have that as a place to start. Yeah, we do. 100%. And it's got to be – I think what happens is when we don't have that as a place to start, what you get is this air of self-righteousness. What you get is this arrogant, I'm right, you're wrong, I'm saved, you're not mentality. Um, when what people need to hear – is uh, what they need not to hear. They don't need to hear anything. What they need is sympathetic, loving arms, mm -hmm. right? Right. To say, I'm sorry. Tell me more. That's, that's horrible. That's unfair. But we want to come at it with, well, you know, well, you know, God is doing something good here, you know, and just be, and, and sometimes that's not the answer. Actually, most times that's not the answer. Right. And it leads. And I think that's one way we start to, to respond better to this is like stop having trite um, proof texted answers to these things and just sit in the pain with people mm -hmm. sit in their crap. Right. Yeah. With them. Empathy. You know? Yeah. Empathy. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, so many times we want to give someone an answer when all they really want to be is heard. Mm hmm. And, and, and they just want someone to sit with them and be there. Yeah, I think that's that's evident. Uh, we've experienced it personally. Yeah. We experience – I think a lot of people experience that in relationships that are even working. You understand this kind of in an intrinsic level. Like it's, In order for a relationship to work, you have to be willing to sit with somebody in the middle of their suffering. So Without if, trying to fix it. So if that works on a micro level, it's got to work at a macro level too. Right. That has to be the policy of the church. Right. Um. But in, also, in addition to all this, in relation to emotional abuse, like we mentioned, sort of the, the the gender bias and sexism, things that the church has spun out of control to control certain groups within the church, you have to at some point be willing as a church leader to go, okay, we've been doing this for a long time. This isn't even biblical. We need to let go and change it so that people can now do something that they couldn't do before. They can worship in a way that they couldn't worship before. Um, and I'm not saying that we should be radicalized and just throw out all the biblical rules, but you and I have both experienced in the relationship to uh, women in certain churches. We have to drop this whole women can't serve communion as an oh, example. Women can't do anything. Crap. Like, it's ridiculous. Let's just see what the word has to say 
contextually from 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 cover to cover, not just a verse, and see how valuable a woman is in Scripture. Because when you go contextually, there's a much different picture about the value of a woman than if you take a verse out of context and say, see, Absolutely. we can subjugate them. Yeah. And I think we have to be willing to, to do that. We have to be willing to admit our own biases. Yes. We have to be willing to admit how our faith is an Americanized faith. Yes, it is. Which has been colored by slaveholder religion, mm -hmm. which has been colored by misogynistic religion. All of these things. Patriarchy. Patriarchy. <laughs> apps, uh, the toxic patriarchy. Right. Um, and be willing to, to say, those were bad. We can fix those things. But we have to be willing to do that and not have this fear of, oh, no, now everything we we ever say is going to be considered bad. Right. Right. I agree. It's, it, it takes the courageousness to go, yeah, yeah, that was a screw up. Oh. Yeah. Because here's the thing I think we've seen historically. If the church doesn't do this work, society will do it for us. And you'll have op-eds and editorials and investigative journalism reports pointing out all these flaws for us in a way that's more damaging than if we do it ourselves and actually try to make the changes that we need to make. Right. Like we have an opportunity to make things better, but if we don't, well, this, the world will let us know what we're doing wrong. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think there's so much involved here, Tom, that, I mean, we could talk for hours. I, I think one of the things we need to do is we need to admit that a lot of the problem comes from the fact that the church and people in the church, especially leadership, we have a, a Messiah complex. Ugh, yeah. Like, I mean, it's, we want, we misunderstand what our role as the church is. My role is not to fix somebody. My role is not to save somebody. My role, I, I can't do that. I have no ability to save you. I have no ability to fix. I don't, that, I think that's just a stupid name anyway, but I, mm -hmm. we, we use that. Um, my role is to love. It's that simple, right? Like, mm -hmm. and then other things <laughs> come into play, but, but we have this Messiah complex. Well, I have to come in and fix this and save this. Um, and that causes bad damage from good intentions. I agree. You know, I think so. I think we have to start with something like that as well. I agree. I think in a weird way, some of the um, physical and sexual abuses that are experienced in the church are easier to remedy. Right. Because a lot of this stuff can be curtailed with common sense uh, um, policies and procedures. Mm -hmm. You know, effective background checking, uh, visible accountability, and um, more than one person with a child at every, every given time. Like common sense stuff that public schools do, which by the way... Nobody's no institution is perfect, but there are institutions that do a really good job. Absolutely, and we can all learn from one another. It's time for the church to stop trying to wing it. And, and why are are the why are we trying to, to wing it? Like there, well, it, like, I think it rests on that Messiah complex thing that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Because if we can do no wrong, then what we're doing is not wrong. What? Do, oh gosh, yeah, you're right. I was about to ask a question, but then that one hit me across the face. Mm. But you're right. Like these seemingly simple changes we can make, right? To, to, to make it a safer, accountable place uh, that you would think, well, there's, 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 of course, everyone will do that. Uh -uh. Uh, I've worked in the church. I've right. been there. Uh, I have friends that work in the church. I have close 
family that works in the church, um, the resistance to some of these simple processes of keeping people safe is is mind blowing. The resistance to these things, it's ridiculous. It's un, I like unbelievable. Like I I can't even hardly talk about it without getting flustered because I'm like, what? Right. <laughs> Why? Why would you resist doing a background check? Why would you resist saying these kind of people because of past choices can't serve in this kind of a role? Mm-hmm. But it but those are fights that happen a lot. Yeah. In the church and, yeah. and have no place to be happening. Right. I, I I think it's something that can easily be changed. It's just that the work's not being done. Gotcha. Because the people in charge of doing the work haven't engaged in those tactics yet. They haven't engaged in let's let's make the easy changes. Let's keep children safe. Let's keep our staff safe. Okay, good point. Let's start easy. Mm-hmm. We can't I mean, let's start easy. Background check. This 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 can't be. Right. <laughs> and uh, you know, uh a child safety policy in mm-hmm. place signed by everyone who works. That seems so easy. What a great place to start. And that alone could begin changing the culture. Right. Not everything is going to fix everything. Right. But this will cover a lot of gaps that exist currently, which should not be there. Absolutely. And we'll now give you a base from which you can start talking broader and deeper into the why and the how and where this is stemming from. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, I want to address that last thing. That's sort of the, the religious, the condemnation, legalism sort of damage that takes place. I, I've been blessed uh, to be going through a book right now called Mindfulness, and it's th- this. It's rocking my world. It's not a Christian book by any stretch. It's a book written by a psychologist, a research psychologist, who's done a lot of work around mindfulness versus mindlessness. And one thing I can say is I can't help but applying these principles to church life and uh, spiritual life. So in the area of dogmatic oppression of your congregation— the biggest p- problem I see is that the people in leadership are taking a mindless approach in their teaching and a mindless approach in their churching. But if you take a mindfulness, you're actually paying attention to the words you're reading. You're actually paying attention to the context of those same words. You're actually reading front to back. You're actually listening to people as they respond to you when you talk. You're actually thinking about the words that come out of your mouth as they're coming. This seems like no big deal common sense stuff that people should be doing from the pulpit. But no, you and I both know when you get in front of a microphone, you can switch into that gear where it's really easy to be trite, to say the thing that you need to say, to sound like it's a good sermon. It doesn't even take much effort. It can happen mindlessly. Well, these well-seasoned leaders do it even better than us. And it is time for a mindful approach to teaching. I think it'll strip away a lot of the dogmatic BS that we experience. Manipulative. And it's very manipulative. That's that's just my take on that. Ah, that's great take. And that's a that's a whole another can of worms as well. It, in a good way. Not and I didn't that probably has a negative connotation and I didn't mean that. But I like, love worms. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I think it's I think the common thread of all of these though is intention. There you go. That that's what the, I, you know what? I want to keep people safe, so I'm going to I'm going to intentionally put this into practice. You know what? I want to make sure my words heal rather than damage. I want to make sure that that my 
my lesson, whatever you want to call it, my sermon, whatever you call it at your church, at your place of worship, I want to make sure that it builds up rather than breaks down. Mm. Um, that takes intention, mm-hmm. right? And, and intention takes investment and it takes hard work and it takes um, humility and it takes repentance. It takes relearning. It takes deconstructing and rebuilding. It, it's, it's being intentional is not easy. And I think a lot of these damages took place because we didn't want to do the hard work that it took to have an intentional approach to loving in the name of the gospel. And I think that that's what we need. We come back all the way up to that. Mm. Amen to that. You know, and, and so, you know, just this, inti- the, the, I'm going to have the posture of in, intention mm. in my approach to everything really, but we're talking about my approach to the church being a, a solace rather than a place of harm. Right. Oh, that's great. I love that. Um, I believe you just anointed this time. That was a beautiful distillation of the conversation. I love the idea that intention is the foundation for the healing to be built upon it. I couldn't agree with you more. That's fantastic. So, I mean, I'm not trying to stop talking to you. Well, we haven't even touched the surface, but maybe that's a good place to stop for for now. It's a good place for now there. I think there's plenty of stuff that can spiral out of this. Yeah. But Thank you, man. That was fantastic. I really appreciate that intention, folks. Well, I don't want that to be considered a trite word that I'm throwing out either because intention is big. But intention means the way I'm using it is the willingness to do the hard work myself before I feel like I can speak into someone else's brokenness. I think that's why I'm excited about it because like I said earlier, I'm not at a place anymore where I, I have time to spare. I feel like 2020 has taught me personally if there's something that I need to do it's time for me to do it. And so I love that this call for intention is what come out of this. It's fantastic. Cool. Well, hey, folks, we love you. Be intentional. Yeah. And let's let's do this together. Absolutely. Like, there's 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 a lot of potential. There's 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 so much good we can do. Let's do it together. Yeah, let's do it. Cool. Peace. Peace.